0: Hi, this is Greg Voison inviting you to listen to our latest Inside Personal Growth Podcast episode number 901 with author Sarah Payton about her new book entitled Affirmations for Turbulent Times, Resident Words to Soothe Body and Mind. This podcast number 901 is brought to you by Nate and Kaylee Klemp, authors of a new book entitled The Eighty Eighty Marriage, A New Model for a Happier, Stronger Relationship. Nate Klimp is a returning guest to my podcast show. In this podcast, we are going to be speaking about a new book he co-authored with his wife, uh, Katie Klimp, entitled The 80-80 Marriage, A New Model for a Happier, Stronger Relationship. In this interview, we talk about the radical generosity, battle of fairness, domestic equity, parenting, and a lot more to have a successful marriage. If you want to read a book that will help your relationships and give you more love, compassion, and understanding, you'll want to listen to this very engaging interview with author Nate Klimp. To learn more about Nate and Kaylee and their book, please visit their website, www.nateklimp.com. That's www.nateklemp.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Sarah Peyton about her new book entitled Affirmations for Turbulent Times Resonant Words to Soothe Body and Mind. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyce, and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us today is Sarah Peyton. Peyton, I want to make sure I get that right. And the book we're going to be talking about is affirmations for turbulent times. I was just uh, saying to Sarah, what a good feeling book this is! It's embossed, and it's a perfect book for Christmas. It's a perfect book for any time of the year, but particularly right about now, where people it's are beautiful reflecting and and thinking about their world and what they want to do. Um, so it's affirmations for turbulent times. I'll put a link. Uh, to Sarah's website. We'll also put a link to Amazon for the book. And Sarah has been on with us before. And she um, has a series of books, but I'm gonna let them know a little bit about you, Sarah. Um, She's a neuroscience educator, constellation facilitator, certified nonviolent communication trainer and author. Uh, who invites audiences into a compassionate understanding of the effects of relational trauma on the brain and teaches how to use resonance to change and heal. Uh, she's been doing this for a long time and she has your resident self book and also the resident self workbook, um, which we will put a link in this podcast to the interview we did a few months ago mm-hmm. with Sarah for those, those books as well. So, again, link to this book, but this is the one we're going to be talking about today. So, Sarah, you know, in that interview a couple of months ago, um, we talked about your resident self book and your resident self workbook um, that really kind of goes along with it. You know, you, you don't have to buy both, but <laughs> it goes along with it. And it was fascinating, um, kind of your approach. Now you've come up with this new book, um, which explores 100 themes of affirmations grounded in neuroscience. Uh, To set the stage, if you would, I think, for our listeners, because this isn't just another book with affirmations. Um, I want them to know that. Um, Although there are affirmations, this isn't just another book. So can you give the listeners context about Affirmations for Turbulent Times? Yes.
1: So the Affirmations for Turbulent Times is a book that Norton's, my Norton editor commissioned from me. She was talking with her family at night at dinnertime about how hard it was to live in this world and about how all of her books were about trauma. And her daughter said to her, I think it was her daughter, said to her, Mom, why don't you publish something that makes people feel good? <laughs> <laughs> so Deborah called me up and said, Sarah, what do you think? Do you think you could do a resonant affirmations book for us that would give people both, you know, a real sense of being able to ground themselves in the truth of what's happening? And To be able to move into some really good feelings, especially, especially, you know, during these turbulent times. And I was like, yes, I can do that. That sounds like a marvelous
0: mission. Well, how long ago was that, that you guys started that journey?
1: Oh, gosh, it wasn't so very long ago. It was uh, maybe one year ago. And then I had the, uh, um, the, the, I, I think I wrote it in six weeks. I wrote twice as much as what ended up being put in the book, but then huh. I'm like, no, no, we want it to be little. We want it to be a workbook. <laughs> I mean, not a workbook, a little gift book. And so they had me go through and take out everything, but the very most, most beautiful resonant inviting affirmations that would help people feel better.
0: Oh, what a great story. That's a great story. Now, you know, you presented um, in the book um, and that what I want to get to is with wanderings and affirmations and state that the audience can think of it as a hug and a hardbound. Um Aww. I like that. Yeah. Um, if you would tell the listeners why you believe that this book is an important reference uh to them and the world that we're living in today, you know, it's um Turbulent times is, is, is very appropriate terminology. Um, yet on the flip side of the coin, um, this book allows you to relook at what you consider turbulent times to be because it has to be reframed from a neuroscience standpoint. Otherwise, you're going to get caught in turbulent times.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the very nicest thing that happens for human brains is when somebody understands them. As soon as another human really understands a human who's been living through turbulent times, then the person who's being understood, their body relaxes and their brain relaxes and we can see out on MRIs. And it's so interesting because people don't realize, like even I who've been doing this work for 15 years, I, I'm always like, it's not really going to work, is it? If I if I just let myself understand the other person and reflect my understanding, they're not going to calm down. That's too simple. <laughs> but over and over again for 15 years, when we let ourselves really, what I use the word resonant, to resonate with another person and to let them know that we're resonating with them and to say, Here's what's happening for me. Is it like that for you? Here's the metaphor that's coming to me, or here's what's happening with my body sensations. The other person goes, oh, wow, I feel better. And that's what this book is meant to do. Because a traditional affirmation just plunges you right into the affirmation part without any acknowledgement that, you know, if you're claiming abundance for yourself and you grew up scavenging, you know, wooden crates in order to use them for and those wooden crates for bookshelves and those wooden spools from cable runs Mm -hmm. to use for coffee tables I don't know if you did that when you were yeah I
0: know I remember all of those (laughs) (laughs)
1: if you grew up like that you know the idea of like abundance can sometimes seem a little a, a little um elusive and if you say, I live in abundance, you might think, yeah, I live in an abundance of, um, of coffee table spools, and by gum, they've changed those to cardboard now, and they aren't even wood anymore, and there's nothing but scarcity in this world. It's like we've got a little guy on our shoulder that, that contradicts our affirmations. Yeah, and you know, in the brain, it's actually the anterior cingulate. The anterior cingulate loves it when things match up, when tr- words and truth match. The anterior cingulate is all in. So what we what we do with this book is the one side has the affirmations. I mean, yeah, just the t- traditional affirmations. But the, before you get to the affirmations, there are wonderings. Right? Like, do you need acknowledgement that you grew up without enough food for dinner? Yeah. And do you need acknowledgement that sometimes you get really
0: scared? Well, I think questioning that uh Sarah, in other words, in anything, the way you change or alter or transform is by asking a very important question of yourself, your subconscious uh that's programmed that that continues to do that and and you know we said this in the last interview. I remember Byron Katie saying, "Is it true? Is it really yeah. true? you know yeah. And I think we live in a world of making stuff up and then we believe what we made up and then that's literally what we create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But in your book, you're you're telling them, no, that doesn't have to be the case. Here's the way to question that. And then here's an affirmation that would reframe um, how you are languaging that. Yeah. right? You were talking about the spools and the coffee table, whatever. Yeah. Um, so you, you have this living with chaos and uncertainty. And you speak about having to worry about things that were personal, and uh, subject to kind of the whole world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the consequences of the pandemic Affected. You were just talking about a workshop you went to, and yeah, and you, there were consequences. Yeah. Of yeah, the pandemic affected every part of the world and everyone's peaceful life. Yeah. Um, whether our life was peaceful or not before isn't so important, but this added to the confusion. and, yeah, the, the, and the conflict. So, what recommendation recommendations do you have for people um, to really rejuvenate? You know, we're we're kind of coming out of this. I know we're talking about Omnicron now and all these other things. But again, if you look at it, not that this isn't that the pandemic isn't real and that the virus isn't real. But what's real is the fear. Hmm. And I think the important thing to address is is if you're going to reprogram anything, you should reprogram how you think about this. And the fear that you associate with it because it stops you from having a life. Yeah. If, if you go down that path.
1: Yeah. And you know what you're saying about the pandemic is true everywhere, right? I mean, if what we want to do is like live from a place of grace and abundance, really tap into the essential birthright of those two qualities within us, what stops us is fear. What stops us is also alarmed aloneness, the experience of not being accompanied in this life, which is why this book and all my books just really try to accompany people right where they are. So that when they get to that point of claiming for themselves, like certainty, you know, you said there's one section called living with chaos and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. But our birthright is a certain, like, real grounding in who we are and in our love and in our capacity to be with and contribute to the people that we love and to the world. So when we get grounded in that love, there's a certainty in it that's very different from the uncertainty that we live with on a day-to-day basis with 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 the pandemic, with the global climate crisis, with um with uh Worries about um, about the economic situation in the world and and inequality and systemic systemic racism. Like, there's so many just really beautiful things to work on right now for all of us. And and how do we kind of find our center, our sense of humor, and our heart, just to be able to keep moving and enjoy ourselves a little bit. Well, this book
0: does a good job at that. You know, that's the most important thing. And that's why I say for my readers, if you want to get a copy of this book pre-Christmas, put it on for somebody as a gift, it would be a good thing to do. Um, And we'll have a link so that you can do that. also to her website, you know, um, you bring up some important points and it's always the case that, you know, you're a neuroscience expert and. You're looking at how this brain operates. And in the theme, you, you call it theme four entitled work and contribution. You state that uh you bring focus into your body and your heart to support yourself in the efforts to keep all the balls that you were just talking about. You have yeah. a lot of them you listed, yeah. juggling in the air. And there's many of them. We juggle family and work and home and in school and whatever it might be, and the pandemic and yeah. you name it. Yeah. Share with our listeners, if you would, some of the tips to keep that focus into the their body and mind.
1: Mm. Okay. The thing that most supports focus is a, a, a kind of a combination of uh, being sweet to ourselves. And um, and grounding, you know, what we're doing in the deeper needs that we have. So whatever it is we want ourselves to focus on, if I'm looking at research for a book, for example. I'm not just looking at research. I'm looking at research with an eye to... How will this research help all the people who are in the world who are really bewildered by their own experience of being alive? How does this research help us understand the human condition? And uh, and so that kind of multi-level understanding of why we're focusing on something, if we're focusing on our work to be uh, like a work that we do for a corporation, What's the corporation's mission? What part of the corporation's mission works for us as a a contribution to humanity? Or how much do we need to just be very groundedly based in our love for our family and the way that whatever work we're doing in the world provides provides oxygen and breathing space and room and home, uh, a sense of home for our people? So the more we ground ourselves in the larger values and longings and needs that we have, the easier it is to deal with the sort of buffeting winds of the inside of our brain that make focus difficult. Stress makes focus difficult.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's easier said than done um, because there's an attachment to things working out a certain way. We want life to be better. And, but when we focus all that energy on the attachment of it being better, because the reality is from my experience, experiences, you don't control it. Mm -mm. So you have to learn to let it go. Otherwise that increases the stress level and reduces the happiness and joy level and Mm -mm. the compassionate level and the ability to do all the other things. Because if it's not going your way, um, there's a little thing called anger that comes into play. And that anger is not self-compassion, as you well know. It's anger against yourself. You lash out against others. You lash out at yourself. Um, You know, and in your part of the book with family and home theme, you speak about relationships, loved ones, parenting, responsibilities. You were just talking about that in the last uh, statement. What advice can you give the listeners when things go crazy and a lot of um, constant things need to be addressed all at the same time. Mm. In other words, where, you know, we're dealing with a difficult child may have drug issues. We've got a spouse, which is abusive. We've got whatever the things that are happening. And then so that those stories don't become embedded in the brain. So we relive them over and over and over again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so many of us are living in multi-generational households where each generation has its own difficulties. We might be having gen- g- the, the difficulties with our spouse. We might have be having difficulties with our children. We might be having difficulties with our parents. So uh, the most important thing is somehow finding a sense that we make sense, that at every moment our responses make sense. Like when we wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and we worry about our kid, that we go, oh, of course I would be worried. And we feel into the way that we love them so much. Or if we have a partner who becomes abusive under addiction issues, for example, or just carries anger issues, and we get to say to ourselves, of course, I'm scared. We don't need to be cruel to ourselves um, about our decisions. We we want as much as possible to be really warmly accompanying, almost like we're an angel that's with ourselves all the time. Sometimes people don't like the word angel. An accompanying essence that's with us all the time. That's just going, yeah, Sarah, that was a rough moment. Of course, you're angry. Of course, you're sad. Of course, you feel disgust. Of course, you want this world to be different, just like an embrace that we carry with us all the time, which is very, it's a very big request of ourselves to do this, but we need it quite intensely.
0: Let's see, we just lost your voice, Greg. Whoops. I want to make sure that uh, I'll make sure that she edits that, Um, you know, what I was going to comment on is finding that peace and comfort from within and being able to have certain little things trigger that Mm -hmm. um, is so very important. I remember last time we talked about the need to just go out and take a walk in nature or a hike, or ride your bicycle, or do something physical that makes you feel good. So you come back in. There's a lot of things you can do. Or uh, giving of yourself, uh, volunteering your time uh, for a senior center, or for a food bank, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of things that bring lots of uh, peace to you um, and blessings to you uh and more that isn't uh uh measured from a monetary standpoint. It's intrinsic reward uh that you get that's so important because it feeds the soul. You know
1: its own it brings its own abundance.
0: Yes, it does. In living the creative life, you state that you acknowledge your anxiety and and care so that your body has a sense that you know yourself. And that you are receiving your own messages, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, How does someone benefit from acknowledging anxiety and care? And how do we apply them to our lives? So in other words, you know, hey, I was talking with a girl yesterday at lunch. And she says, I suffer from depression and anxiety. I didn't know that. But she was willing to share that with me. And I shared what I knew about it because I used to have... High Anxiety Myself, Mm. Anxiety Attacks. And she really got a lot of relief, and I recommended a couple of books as well. Um, But I think it's important, just the element that someone trusts you enough to share Mm. um, an experience that they're having, right? Um, And this anxiety thing is more than real for people. Um, (laughs) it's, It's a... And anxiety then leads into depression.
1: Yeah. And anxiety can have two flavors. Anxiety can have a main flavor of alarmed aloneness, where we're like, <gasps> Where are the people? Where's my person? Where's my beloved? Where's, where's my family? Where And that can happen with death. That can happen with job changes. That can happen with moves across the country. That can happen with migration internationally. That can happen with divorce and separation. It can happen with kids going away to school. It can happen from when we were tiny, when we had such a love for our mothers, we come out of the womb in love with our mothers and if and we who have been inside of them know better than anybody else what the beauty of their souls are and when our mothers are are wounded and and uh, blocked by trauma they don't get to be that full self i believe that there's so many of us walking around with a pervasive loneliness specifically for the beautiful hearts of the people whose bodies we came out of. It can be true with fathers, too. Who knows a father better than his children? And who longs for a father's well-being more than his children? So when we start to name those kinds of very deep lonelinesses, it can start to help with anxiety. And on the other hand, the other flavor of anxiety is fear. When we get to name those deep fears, Like my family has never been financially stable in six generations. I just, you know, or or it's been sort of stable, but there's been no gain in six generations. Of course, I would feel afraid about finances. Of course, I would want there to be stability and security and well-being.
0: Yeah, very important point, you know. You know, one of our opportunities in life is to find focus and do it through contemplation meditation whatever it might be but the world is filled with distractions and you wrote about it in the book Um, you talk about the social media distractions obviously uh, on the capital today people are being grilled um, you know Facebook, which is now Meta, Um, you know, Instagram, they had the guy up there just a few days ago,
1: um,
0: about how it's distorting the perception for young children, right?
1: Yeah, and how addictive it is for everybody, including the young children, and not very helpful, not very (laughs) life-serving, is it?
0: Right. So, if you were to speak to the listeners about the effects of social media and dealing with social media distractions, um, what... What would advice would you give them? I mean, I know the book has plenty of opportunities for people to look at overview, ask hard questions, and then read an affirmation
1: yeah. um,
0: so where were, where do you stand on that? What would you like to let the listeners know?
1: I would love it if our listeners were very kind to themselves in whatever way that they use social media because <laughs> I actually have my cell phone in the other room because your cell phone takes, depending on which research you look at, 10 to 25% of your brain energy. It's like you're outsourcing. Like if these reading glasses were my cell phone, I would have outsourced 10 to 15% of my intelligence and my creative capacity and my thinking ability to my cell phone. It's an it's an auxiliary brain. It's very helpful, but it diminishes us interpersonally. So the more we can spend, more time we can spend with our cell phones in another room, when we're trying to focus. Speaking of focus, coming back to our focus question, um, the more we get to kind of be, exist, do, explore in real time with our full brains. So that's one thing to notice, is that it's an auxiliary brain. The other thing to notice is that it's kind of an auxiliary morphine pump. Each time that we refresh the screen, it's a, there's a dopamine rush. So that's the addiction chemical. And each time somebody puts a love or a like on our Facebook post or our Instagram post or our tweet, we get a little jolt of endogenous opioids. So, <laughs> so our device is a little kind of a medicalizing unit that we carry around with ourselves to keep ourselves regulated. I think it's interesting, first of all, to start just by knowing that and noticing our patterns. Like part of what happens when we have an external focus like a device is that we can manage our default mode network, which is the anxious voice of the brain. If we bring our attention to Facebook, we can turn off the default mode network, and then we just get to be here and, and with our device, and we don't have to worry about that anxiety. So what are we managing? That's such a good start of a question.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say that in life, as you mentioned in the first part, there's a lot of balls that we're juggling in the air. We're managing so much. And everybody who has a family or owns a business or writes a book or is on social media, like we're doing here right now, um, you're managing all these elements. And many of these elements did not exist not that long ago. (laughs) Um, so, So we've added to the pile of things that we have to manage and things we have to do. If you were to leave the listeners with three very sound, resonant uh, pieces of advice um, Mm -hmm. about affirmations for turbulent times and Mm -hmm. how they might use this book in their life to change some things that they would like to change. um, What, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them?
1: Yeah. First of all, just take it get get the book and open it randomly and let those two pages speak to you and then, as you kind of get used to doing random openings, start to think about uh, how do you how do you want to to think about these things yourself? Have I named everything that's true for you that the little guy on your shoulder is saying? Is there more that needs to be named? So that's the second part to start to make it your own. And the third is to just to have it, but to allow yourself to use this as a model for making your own affirmations as you go in deeper into your life so that whatever you run up against, you get to name what's true and claim your essence in relationship to whatever's happening.
0: Well, it's an additional tool in the toolbox that you can sit with, uh, and you can do it without digital screen, <laughs> unless you want. <buy laughs> or with the- digital, if and it's on your Kindle, you- that's if you great too. You want to too. read it on your Kindle, you can. That's true. And we're not downing digital because our life is very much digital, mm-hmm. both uh, Sarah and myself. Yeah. Um, But there is times when you just want to sit on the sofa or in your easy chair. And take a book to read. And this is one of those warm books that you also may wanna take. And I have it right here. Mm. You may wanna take a yellow highlighter (laughs) with this yellow book. Oh, very nice. (laughs) And you you may wanna actually highlight
1: some things in
0: the book and actually put some notes in there for yourself, um, which would be a good thing to do as well. Mm -hmm. Well, Sarah, it's a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth again. Um, happy holidays to you, um, a blessed, uh, holiday season and a great new year for you as you started off here with so many, uh, great opportunities to help people, uh, find their resident life. Oh, thank you very much. Greg. Thank you for listening to this podcast on inside personal growth. We appreciate your support.